Today we start a new series uh, called More Than Enough. Uh, It's for six weeks. It'll take us up to Christmas Eve. And uh, we're going to look at some of the needs that we all have that Jesus uniquely meets for us. And, you know, uh, John mentioned earlier, you know, even in his story, and while he was standing here, that that in some ways he felt like uh, some of those addictions, some of those things in his life just kind of drowned what were going to make him into the person he wanted to be, but they really weren't. And really, they they just kind of drowned maybe some of the pain and what he needed, which was Jesus Christ. And you know that's that's the truth of these needs that we're going to look at. You've kind of you've got a handful of options. You can either uh, tough your way through it and say, "No, I can do it. I can fulfill all these needs on my own. I don't need to worry about it. I'm a tough guy." And you'll probably fail. At some point, you'll fail. You'll be miserable if nothing else. Another option is you can drown those needs with other things like addictions or wealth or material things or food or whatever else. You can just drown them and then they kind of go away and they get numbed. Uh, Or you can just find yourself in total despair and there's no way out and I'm just stuck here in these things. But there's a fourth option and the fourth option is Jesus Christ and turning to him in repentant faith. And he has the ability, the unique ability to be able to fulfill these needs in your life and in my life. And here's some of the needs we're going to look at. We're going to look at our need for contentment. We're going to look at that today. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll look at our need for direction and then our need for protection the week after that. Finally, our need for hope, our need for peace, and our need for purpose. And I think rightfully, right before Thanksgiving today, uh, we're looking at our need for contentment. I know, that kind of stinks, huh? Like, you were looking forward to shopping on Friday, weren't you? Like, why do we got to talk about contentment today? Why don't you just wait a week, let me do my shopping, and... But that's what we're going to look at today. Hey, I've told you this story before, but I'm going to share it again, because some of you are new, you won't know it, and others of you, you maybe forgot it. But um, have you ever heard about the man who lived with his wife, his two small children, and his in-laws in a tiny hut? Have you heard of that guy? Some of you have heard this story. You never heard of it. That's bad news. Just joking. But here's the story of this man. He tried to be patient and gracious, but the noise and the crowded conditions got on his nerves. And eventually they wore him down. So finally he consulted the village wise man. Maybe he lived in India. I don't know. But he's in a little hut and he, he consulted the wise man. And the wise man asked him, he said, uh, Sir, um, that's a hard problem. I wonder, do you... Uh, do you have a rooster? And the man said, well, yeah, but what's, what's that have to do with anything going on in my house? I mean, my wife, my kids, my, my in-laws, they're driving me crazy. It's just, it's nuts in there. In this tiny little hut. He goes, yeah, I know, but do you have a rooster? Well, yeah, I got a rooster. Okay, well then take the rooster in uh, with you and your family this week and then come see me next week. Okay. So the man uh, took the rooster, he put it in his house along with, uh, with his wife, his two small children, and his in-laws in his tiny hut. And he came back the next week to the wise man more upset than ever because his conditions were worse than ever. He said, the rooster keeps crowing and making a mess of this hut. Well, then the, the wise man said, he said, well, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. I wonder, do you have a cow? Like, yeah, I got a cow, but what, what, what do you want from me? I mean, I, I got my, my wife, my two small kids, my in-laws, this rooster, my house, my life is a mess. What's a cow have to do with it? Well, do you have a cow? Yeah, I've got a cow. 
Okay, well, take your cow into your hut as well then and come see me in a week. The man thought, walked away shaking his head. What? Who is this guy? Whoever called him wise? He's a wise guy, that's for sure. And he went, went to his house and he took the cow and the rooster and put him in his house. Well, he came back a week later and you can imagine how things went in his tiny little hut. He could take it no more and uh, it, he went back to the man. And the next week the man said, okay, do you have a goat? And the week after that, it was, do you have a dog? Yeah, I have two. Okay, take your two dogs. Uh, how about, do you have any nieces and nephews the week after that? And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, my, my brother has three kids. Okay, take them too. So at this point, he's got uh, the rooster, the cow, a goat, two dogs, and his brother's kids. All in the house with his two children, his in-laws, in this tiny little hut. And finally, he can't take it anymore. It's been weeks of this nonsense. And he goes back to the man in a fit of anger and he kicked out all the animals and the guests leaving only his wife, his children, and his parents. And suddenly his house seemed incredibly spacious and quiet. It was just him and his wife and his kids. And he just, he went to bed and slept like a baby that night. The point of the story is, if you call me this week and I ask if you have a rooster, you know, you know where I'm going with that. Can you see how his circumstances all of a sudden, uh, when, he, when he viewed things maybe in a right way, he started right where he began, but now suddenly he was content with what he had. And he wasn't uh, anxious, he wasn't angry, he wasn't begging for more, and uh, suddenly uh, he had contentment. He had everything he needed to be happy. And isn't it true that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the reality of the matter is you and I have everything we already need to be joyful and happy before the Lord. Even in the midst of a world that tells you you've got to have more, you've got to do more, you've got to be more, and you've got to plan better. You, uh, isn't it true? We already have, and we know it's true, um, but it's hard. And so I want to ask you this morning, uh, are you a contented person? Are you a contented person? Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to look at this. This is something I struggle with for sure, and so we're going to learn together this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into God's word. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that in him we have all that we need uh, more than enough of what we need, especially as it comes to being content and to be satisfied and to be joyful. Lord, uh, teach us this morning, I pray from your word. Uh, teach me even as I teach and as we study your word together. Uh, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I struggle with these things as well. And uh, yeah, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're more than enough. I pray against the enemy who would tell us there's always more, there's always something missing, there's always something that we need to be doing, when in reality, Jesus, we need to rest in your grace. So teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So are you a content person? Here's, here's a definition of contentment. Contentment can be defined as this, free from care because of satisfaction which, with what is already your own. Let me say that again. Free from care because you're satisfied with what is already your own. Are you content? The word that's translated as content from the Hebrew means to be pleased. 
It's a state of mind. It's a, it's a satisfaction with reality. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 5, to keep your life free from the love of money and to be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never, Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are, are you pleased with what you already have? And Jesus says, you, you have me, and that's enough. Uh, it's, a, it's a satisfaction with, with our reality. You know, and Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy verse, uh, verse 8 of chapter 6, but if we have food and clothing, with these enough we will be content. You know, after coming back from India, you see that in the lives of these people and of these boys and of their contentment uh, with what we would see as being very little. And you heard some of those testimonies last Sunday of... Uh, Man, you know, you look at it and you think, oh, I could never be happy living like that. But look at all these people who are. They have more than enough. They're satisfied with what they already have. And ultimately, I believe that satisfaction comes down to their satisfaction in Jesus Christ and not drowning that need with all the other cares of this world. But people today, especially in our culture, in North America, we always want more. Isn't it true? I don't know about you, but when I, when I was little, I remember like, uh, a little, it was like a, you had a 10-ounce can of soda and a 12-ounce or 12-ounce can of soda and 12-ounce bottle of, bottle of pop, right? And then it grew to 16, and now it's 20, and now it's 24. Or you can get like the big gulp one with the giant lid that's like a liter. And uh, it's never enough. We always want more. We're all like Mick Jagger. We just can't get satisfaction, right? We all want more all the time. But it's not just him. It's us. Do you know the average home has 189 TV channels? Let that sink in. There were three, I remember, on the TV when I was a kid. Maybe four if you held the antenna the right way. You can choose from over 50 brands of toothpaste. Do you know that? And many of them have multiple choices. Because it's not just Colgate, but it's like Colgate with tartar control or with mouthwash mixed in or with sparkles for the kid. I mean, what, what, all, the, all the different options. So many people in our society, including us, were convinced that more is always better, bigger is always best, and getting our way always equals prosperity and happiness. Do you buy into that? I do at times without even realizing it. It's become so ingrained into our culture and into the way we live that to, to, to really do a gut check on these things is convicting. I don't think there'd be anybody in this room that it wouldn't be convicting for on some pretty big levels, if we're honest. Isn't that true? It's easy to believe that if we even think about your career, if you race to the top, if you gain all the privileges, or if you have the most money, you'll finally be satisfied. But it just doesn't work that way. The more you get, the more you want. And we think that if we just get a little more of this or a touch more of that, we'll finally be satisfied and content. But it never happens. Because as soon as we get closer, the target moves farther away. It's just a mirage. I mean, how many of you, you make more today than you did 10 years ago? But if you go back 10 years ago and look at what you make today, you'd say, boy, if I just could make that, I'd be satisfied. But now today you make that and you're not satisfied. How's that work? Because it's a moving target. It's way out in front of you and you'll never catch it. To use a, a, a phrase in the news today, it's fake news. You can't get there. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't exist where we think it does. It's like a mirage, right? 
when uh, Wiley Coyote looks and he's, he thinks he's going to finally get a drink and he still stays parched and he's drinking a glass of sand. That, that's, that's, that's what materialism and, and our lives of discontentment can be like. Well, thankfully, God's word has some things to say to us in these matters. And so what I want to look at you with today is uh, some advice that Paul gives, some, some keys from Paul. And then ultimately, even we're going to look at a little bit of what, what Jesus himself says about fulfilling that need. Um, because I would guess that much of this is probably ringing true with, with you, because it does with me. That it's never quite enough. But yet, if, if we're honest, in the back of our heads, we're thinking, um, I mean, honestly, like, so I've been working on the message this week, right? And yesterday, I, I was out with Charlie. We went to Lowe's and got a few things to, to build some shelves in the basement and do some stuff. And I saw a couple other things in there, and I thought, oh, that'd be kind of nice. That'd be nice. And it's right after studying this all week. Going, I wish I had a little bit of that. Oh, I wish I could afford that. It's just, it's toxic in our hearts, isn't it? Because even in the back of our minds, while we agree with these things, we go, yeah, but a, another, a different car would be better or a little bit bigger house. Or, yeah. So guard your heart here and be ready that this will be a daily thing for you, maybe for the rest of your life as you live in North America. Um, so look with me at Philippians uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's writing to the church in Philippi that he had helped plant, and they had renewed their concern for him and helping him accomplish ministry and plant more churches in other places. And somehow there was, a, there was a connection made. We're not going to get into those details, but a renewed connection with Paul back to this church. And in verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Boy, that's a huge statement. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, this is an incredible statement from a guy like Paul. Because do you know Paul's circumstances? Uh, maybe turn over to 2 Corinthians with me, chapter 11. This won't be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 23. Paul, uh, Paul just told us, he just told the Philippians that he's okay whether he's living in plenty or in want. And he said, and this is a big statement, in any situation, in fact, in every situation, Paul says, I've learned how to be content. Now, he doesn't say it's something that came naturally. He said it's something he learned. But, but look at his life. Look at, uh, this is a guy who went without comforts that most people in the world today can't even imagine, especially everyone in this room. Listen to, what he, listen to, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I, I am, I'm more, I'm more of a servant, he said, for I've worked much harder. Listen to this description of his life. I've been in prison more frequently. Some of us have been in prison, but most of us haven't. I've been flogged more severely. I don't know anyone who's been flogged. Uh, I've been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I, was, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times he got 39 lashes. That's 195 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Like, man, Paul, you got it. That's rough, buddy. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So one of those shipwrecks um, didn't make it to shore. <laughs> I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's like, I've got all these physical needs, all these things that have happened, but not only that, then I carry this burden of ministry and of caring for all these churches. Man, how does this guy content? How is he, in, in any and every situation, how has he learned to be content? I haven't suffered anything close to what Paul did. Not, not even close. And, and the burden I carry for ministry isn't anything close to what Paul carried. And yet I find myself at times going, man, this stinks. You know, my grandma, when she'd see us pouting, she'd sing a little song to us. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. And then she'd sing the second verse if we didn't start snickering yet. First one, a juicy one. Second one, a slimy one. Third one went right down. And by that time, you're usually laughing and you get your eyes off yourself. And really, that's the first key that Paul gives us. Go back to Philippians chapter four again in verse 10. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Uh, the, the first key that Paul gives us to contentment is to get our eyes off ourselves, to get your eyes off yourself. See, the, the, the church in Philippi did this. They got their eyes off of themselves and onto ministry, onto what Paul was up to, uh, off of their preference, off of uh, whatever was going on. And somehow they got their eyes on him and reconnected with him. Now, Paul says it, it, they actually wanted to this whole time, but they didn't have the opportunity. But, but what about for us? Isn't it true that sometimes, and really for anybody, that really the issue isn't so much, oh, well, it's similar, I guess. It's not that we don't have the opportunity. It's just that our eyes are on ourselves and we don't want to. And we look to me and I look to my situation and uh, and what I want and my preferences and I wouldn't have done it that way and I, I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't spend that money and I wouldn't talk to them like that and I wouldn't have said that and I, 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 I. Me, 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 right? Get your eyes off yourself. Get them on, and see, that's the key to joy, right? When we studied this book, when we studied Philippians, we talked about rejoicing actually being a choice that I make. And really, it's, it's that old acronym, right, of, of joy, of my eyes on Jesus, and then on others, and then yourself. That somehow that's the opposite, though, of what we do. But when we do that, when we have our eyes not on us, but on Jesus and on others, suddenly there's, there's joy. Suddenly there's joy, and the first key to contentment is to get your eyes off of you. Um, but, but it's just the most natural thing, isn't it? 
Even people who say they don't like themselves, ultimately they do things in their own self-interest. It's natural for us to love ourselves. That's why Jesus says that uh, you should love your neighbor like you love who? Yourself. It's unnatural. But we need Jesus to help us do that. So number one, the first key Paul gives us is get your eyes off yourself. And the the second thing, though, uh, and we learn this clearly, especially after reading his circumstances in 2 Corinthians, is to get your eyes not only off of yourself, but off of your circumstances. Get your eyes off of your circumstances. What circumstances are you facing right now in life? Now, that's not to say, like, um, you just get permission to check out and not deal with reality, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just ignore all the bills in the mailbox because I got my eyes on Jesus now and everything's going to be okay and I can just forget about paying the bank. No, you'll probably still need to pay the bank or else you'll lose your house. There's still reality to deal with, right? But when I say get your eyes off your circumstance, I mean the, the Eeyore mentality. Oh, woe is me. It's never going to get better. I guess I'm just stuck. It's always going to be like this, you know, and and just on my circumstance. Look at Paul's circumstances. He he had his, he told us about himself, but if he'd had his eyes on himself and on his circumstances in those times, do you need a review again? Uh, The five times he got 39 lashes, the three times he was beaten with rods, the, the one time he was pelted with stones, the three times he was shipwrecked, and the one time he didn't make it to shore right away, uh, the one time, uh, when, when the multiple times when he's constantly on the move and when he is in danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, from Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, from false believers, all of these things, when he was rich, when he was poor, when he was hungry, when he was full, all of these situations, how in the world... Could he have ever claimed that he learned to be content if he had his eyes on his circumstances, right? That's why he says in the midst of any and every circumstance, chapter uh, 4, verse 11 of Philippians, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content. How do you learn that? Well, I, I think part of it's experience and just hard knocks, but it starts by getting your eyes off yourself getting your eyes off of your circumstances and not being stuck in them. And ultimately, it culminates then with you putting your eyes on Jesus Christ. The only hope for being satisfied, the only hope for finding contentment is to turn my eyes off of me and off of my circumstance and all the garbage going on around me and put my eyes on Jesus. Kind of like that old hymn, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Have you found that to be true? I think that's what Paul found to be true. Because he says this, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances In some ways, Paul actually had an advantage going through all these horrible circumstances because it knocked him so far down, the only place to look was to Jesus Christ. He he said, uh, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And do you know what the secret is? It's verse 13, that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See, that that verse um, 
isn't a verse that uh, if you're an athlete, it's gonna help you win the football game. It might bring comfort to you, but that's not really the point of the verse. It's not a verse that says, um, no matter how hard I try, I can do all things. I can get to the top of the corporate ladder with Jesus who gives me strength. He may help you do that. That's fantastic, but that's not the context, right? The context is I can do all things, meaning I can endure all things. I can be content in all circumstances through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. It's getting your eyes off of you, off of your circumstance and onto Jesus. That's the secret of contentment. You're like, it's gotta be more complicated than that. And it's really not. It's really not. It's just, it's, so how do I get my eyes on Jesus and off of me? Well, to look to Jesus means uh, to read his word, right? Uh, he's revealed himself to us in this book. And I don't know about you, but there tends to be a direct correlation between how much time I have my nose in this book and how big my wants are when it comes to contentment or how big my lack of contentment is. And the more I, I, I'm, I'm in this book and, and not on me or on my circumstances, on either what I have or what I don't have, but just simply uh, looking to Jesus, suddenly the, the words of that hymn ring very true that the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And you need to know, you know, if you, if you go this week and you, you just heard this advice of how to be content, I got to look at Jesus. I got to look at Jesus. Okay, I read it, uh, but I still want that car. <laughs> Josh, it didn't work. I'm done. Forget that. No, 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 no. It's, this, this is a lifetime thing, a lifetime relationship, right? It's a, it's a habit to be built. When we're infected with this disease of discontentment, it's not something that gets cured immediately. There's a uh, there's a long dosage, a lifetime of medication from this word to cure us. And so, so keep your eyes on Jesus. Get your nose in this book. And as you do, maybe let's just do that briefly together. And let's look at an example of, of Jesus and his life. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, starting in verse 26. Verse 26, Jesus answered them. Um, by the way, this was, this was at a, a, to give you a little background here, Jesus had just finished uh, feeding uh, 5,000 people. That didn't include the women and children, so maybe closer to 15,000. Uh, thousands of people wanted his attention. They wanted something from him. They got something from him, right? He fed them, and then he, he starts to leave, and he's going to cross the lake, and what happens is when he gets to the other side, people had actually chased around to find him. Why? Maybe they're still hungry. They want to see what else he's going to do for them. See, actually, I'll start maybe in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, he'd crossed the, the lake, not in a boat, but walking. Uh, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They chased around to try to find him. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And then Jesus answered them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus tells us why they're chasing after him. You want more. 
you're, you're not satisfied. You're not content. I wonder, do you, do you chase after Jesus because of his goodness and his grace or just because you see him like a genie in the bottle? That, that seemed to be why they were chasing him, right? Don't labor for the food that perishes, he says, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Were you around for the 1928 election? Just, just wondering. 1928, Herbert Hoover ran for president. And uh, he, he ran with this campaign promise. He, as he said, a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. That was his campaign promise. And he was elected. Voters were drawn to the candidate who promised prosperity. We see people here who are drawn to the Savior who seem to promise prosperity. Uh, it's not unlike uh, or the campaign in 1992 with Bill Clinton, right? When his campaign advisor, when uh, James Carville, I think, said it's the economy, stupid. That, that came out of the 1992 campaign, and it's just that's, that's what wins elections. That's what wins people's hearts. Well, I bring that up because Jesus never promised prosperity, when he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. But he did something for the people that led them to think prosperity maybe was just around the corner, right? After feeding them. He had multiplied five barley loaves, two fish, and do enough to feed all the people, 12 basketfuls left over. And there, but there was a problem with this kind of prosperity the people expected from Jesus. It didn't last. Sometimes we expect it in different things. Sometimes, like these people, we expect it from Jesus, but uh, it, 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 didn't, it didn't last. The miracle provided a great meal for that day, but the people were hungry again the next day. And Jesus is confronting their misplaced priorities here in verses 26 and 27. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that, will, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The people were pursuing food that perishes, but Jesus came to offer food that would last. See, uh, one thing I see out of this text now as I look to Jesus to find my contentment and I get my nose in his book is right away then I see him say that everything on this earth perishes. Everything I strive for in life, it's never enough. It's never enough, is it? Have you found it to be enough? Maybe for a moment, maybe for a season, but... In the end, you always end up empty, don't you? I do. Uh, whether it's uh, education, whether it's uh, some material gain, whether it's a position, whatever it is, it, it perishes. And Jesus tells us here, he says, quit laboring for the food that perishes, but start laboring for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, which I will give you. Confirms exactly what we read from Paul, right? To get your eyes off yourself, off your circumstances, and onto Jesus. He's the one who will give these things that endure. Because ultimately, it's never enough. It's just always on the treadmill. It's food that perishes. Everything in this earth perishes. Well, um, If we keep reading here, they said to him, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, well, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? 
What work will you perform, Jesus? We rub the bottle, now do something to wow us, then we'll believe. Do something. And he's like, what? Didn't I hand you a piece of bread yesterday? Like, where where were you yesterday? Um, And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread, because they they referenced getting manna in the wilderness. He goes, but my father gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, then give us this bread always. The crowd had already seen extraordinary things, but I guess it wasn't enough. They wanted another sign. And in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. A lot of times we exhibit the same self-centeredness. We, we ask God to prove himself by meeting our needs or intervening in our lives in some miraculous way. And in doing that, we ignore all the good things he's already done for us that should point us to trust him and to be content. Isn't that true? Because we look at these, and I, I don't know, I say we, I look at this passage and I see these people saying, hey, show us a sign. And you heard my response, where were you yesterday? But then how about for myself? And I go, I just wish this would change. I just wish this, why, why does it have to be like this? And Jesus probably looks at me and goes, where were you yesterday? Or the week before, or the year before, when I was so good to you? Why don't you just trust me and endure and get your eyes off yourself and off your circumstances and onto me? Because those things perish. They don't endure. And Jesus says, I'm the bread Right? Do you see that in verse 35? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, you'll be satisfied. See, while everything on this earth perishes, everything Jesus offers satisfies completely. Isn't that true? Have you found that to be true? I've certainly found it to be true. I don't always live like it's true. But I found it to be true, and I know it's true, and I need to repent and return to that on a regular basis. He said, I'm the bread. He also added that he's the thirst. It's not just hunger. It's thirst. It's every need that he fulfills. And he goes on, verses 36 through 40, just to highlight his goodness to them and their ability to trust him. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you don't believe A lot of times my discontentment is rooted in the fact that even though I've seen what Jesus has done and what he offers and I know it to be true, I ignore it or I don't truly believe it. Jesus says, uh, you've seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever would turn to Jesus, Jesus is giving some teaching now on, on a greater spiritual need, this need of salvation. And he says, whoever comes to me, I have, I will never cast them out. Uh, in other words, I can't lose them. He can't lose you if he has, as he has you. Uh, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, not, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. If Jesus has a hold of you, if you've turned to him in saving faith, he will never let go of you. He will never lose you. Now, I've told you there's another passage where he says, those I have in my hand, the Father's put in my hand, I'll never let go of, right? 
And I, I've, I've told you, I think that includes me jumping out of his hand. If he really has me, Jesus said it right here. He said, I, I'm not gonna lose anything the Father's given me. I think that's it's clear that you, if you really truly have saving faith, you can't lose your salvation. The question is, do you really have it? Have you really turned to him and trusted him? Jesus won't let go of you. He won't lose you. And, and that, that's what fuels the ability to find contentment in him. I can trust him no matter what. Because uh, I, I shouldn't, I, I won't, this is the will of him who sent me, the Father sent me, that I would lose nothing of everything of all that he has given me, but I'll raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, Jesus says. Uh, loved ones, the source of our contentment is getting our eyes off of ourselves, off our circumstances, and onto Jesus. Because when I look at my circumstances, I doubt, will he really follow through on his promise and raise me up on the last day? What if I lose my life in this earth for following him? What if I lose everything? Well, you can still be content because he owns it all and he'll raise you up on the last day. And he keeps every one of his promises. Amen? So that's just one example, how when you look to Jesus, look to his word, he's gonna teach you about himself and help fulfill these needs. But just in closing, here's maybe just a couple action steps for you this week and for me. How will you respond to Jesus really being the bread of life, really being your all in all, everything you need? Uh, Here's a few options for you. Number one, maybe you can just give it up. Give it up. Identify something temporary that you have, which is most of what we all have, right? What is it? What's something you have that's temporary? Something you've been pursuing uh, for your own security, maybe a possession, an achievement, an accomplishment, whatever it is. And maybe the Lord would speak to you this week and just say, you know what? You're finding all your contentment, all your security, all your joy in that. It's time to give it up. It's time to stop pursuing that thing. Let it go. Repent and ask God to grant you to true contentment in Jesus. Who knows? Maybe he'll even give it back to you. But the first step is to give it up. Here's another one. This will be an easy one for you this week. Give thanks. Be thankful for what you already have. Maybe this week as you celebrate Thanksgiving, you just go around and um, you do this. We, my, my mom and dad used to do this when we were little, and we, we always cringed at it. We thought, oh, it's so cheesy, Dad. Come on. And you make everybody go around and tell something they were thankful for. And usually he'd start off with something silly and but then by the time we got around, then yeah, we were, there are a lot of things to be thankful for. And suddenly turning our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances, we can be thankful. That's a good way to avoid self-centeredness, is to be thankful for what you have. Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always and to approach him with thankful hearts. Uh, here's a third option, not just give it up, not just give thanks, but maybe you just give it away. That could be your time, volunteering in ministry and serving someone else. That could be uh, your stuff. That could be your talents. Give it away. Give it away. Give it up. Give thanks. Give it away. But, but know this, that as you get your eyes off of you, off your circumstance and onto Jesus, he's more than enough to fill our need of contentment. Amen? I'm going to pray. And uh, then we'll, worship team will come forward. We'll take our offering. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us. Um, Thank you that you are good and you're able to be trusted. 
Lord, we, we praise you for your goodness and for your grace. Um, Father, help me to be content. Help me to get my eyes off of me and off of my circumstances at times and onto you. I found it to be true over and over and over that when, Jesus, I look to you, uh, uh, my contentment increases, my wants diminish, and my joy is abundant. I pray that for each one here. Lord, you know the truth that we're all sinful, that uh, we all continually run back to our idols and to the things that, that we wrongly think will bring contentment. And so maybe this week, uh, do, do a unique work in each of us and in our hearts as we approach Thanksgiving, being thankful to you for all your good gifts that you've given us to enjoy, and, but looking past the gifts to the giver. We love you, and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, our true contentment. Amen.